This time, we're taking a bite-sized look into one of the most realistic depictions of space travel ever put on screen in Ad Astra. And along the way, we ask, just how can Brad Pitt stay so calm? Why are primates part of experiments in space? And how could this level of space travel actually be possible? Let's dig in on Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, guys. Welcome back to another awesome episode on Force-Fed Sci-Fi. We're doing, like I said, a bite-sized one of Ad Astra. And along the way, my co-host is... I am Chris Rupp. Yes, and I am this lovely voice called Spaceman Sean Michael Culp. So, Ad Astra. Ad Astra. Dude, we've been like uh, excited about this, I, I think it's a, for a, a while. Yeah, a quiet excitement, I would call it, because we didn't really mm. ramp up the uh, the excitement and intensity we had towards this movie until, I, until we actually sat down in the theater the mm -hmm. other night. And once the movie was, was over, we just both <laughs> looked at each other and like, that was incredible. I know. It was so speechless. Like, yeah. I've never had that moment before where I'm just <laughs> taking it in and still pondering it days after. It yeah. really hit me. You know it's a good film if you think about it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, dive into this, man. Yeah. Who's in this? What's it about? Do you have your synopsis i do before we get into uh, today's episode too deep being that this is a newer release film mm -hmm. uh we are providing a spoiler alert oh, for yes. today's episode so if you haven't had the chance to go see ad astra please pause here and go check out the movie and this probably isn't the best episode for you to start with so go back and enjoy one of our earlier episodes <laughs> as we dive into ad astra today and please god don't watch downton abbey <laughs> <laughs> just kidding if you like that all right so ad astra is about an astronaut by the name of clifford mcbride who 30 years ago left earth to serve on the lima project which was a mission to search for extraterrestrial life outside of our solar system problem is he and the crew were never heard from again so about say 20 years 20 years ago they just up and vanished Never, no transmissions after that. Then, when Earth begins to be bombarded by power surges from space, the United States Space Command believes it is coming from the Lima Project and enlists the help of McBride's son, Roy, to go after his father and save the Earth. Ooh. Epic, right? Epic. <laughs> so, great plot. Yes. Love it. And it's super simple, too. I mean, when you once you like start getting into it, it's not like you're not bogged down. I think by the little minute details. No, it's very much man receives mission. Man is going to go after his father. Conflicts come across along the way. Yes, and it helps him grow and change as a character by the time he returns home. Yes, it's pretty standard. Which I know, as a viewer, I enjoy that when watching a film. I don't like getting bogged down by like, wait, wait, what's happening? Who? How do I know this person? And what's this tech? Ah. Yeah, and I hate doing this. I hate comparing films to other yeah. films, but this feels like a a slimmed down version of Interstellar. Visually speaking, they recycled. It almost feels like elements from that film. The long takes, the space travel takes. There's a lot of, I guess you could say space porn. You know, like in Star Trek where there's ship porn where they just like spend five minutes looking at the ship flying by but there's a lot of that in this where yeah the visuals are just so they're spectacles man it's brilliant yeah this is one of the most impressive color palettes i've seen in 
any film. Like this is up there with her for me in terms of color palettes. Absolutely. And I know I've like griped a lot about visuals in films. I was kind of not I was sad. <laughs> I like had to eat my words after watching this. I'm like, wow, you usually talk smack about visuals, but the visuals were captivating. Mm-hmm. This is one of those films where it's just it they use the effects in just such a variety where it just takes you and tells a story. Well, that's all comes from the, the, the vision of the director and writer of the film, James Gray, mm-hmm. who I, I definitely felt like he put a lot of care and attention into this film. This film this felt like a, uh, pro, a pet project for him. This is something he always wanted to put on screen. Yes, he said, I think in 2016, he said he wanted the feature to be the most realistic depiction of space travel that's ever been put in a movie yeah this is almost like apocalypse now meets interstellar yes it is very much a heart of darkness type feel to it where he's going after Mm -hmm. this i mean we don't know that his dad's gone crazy yet yeah you're figuring it out along the way exactly and much of the marketing has been centered around brad pitt who is the star of the film I guess, I mean, he's had a, a great year in 2019. You know, I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and now this film. I think it's safe to put Brad Pitt in legendary status yes. after this year. And the whole cast is full of legendary actors. We've got Tommy Lee Jones, mm-hmm. who we've talked about on the show previously, and Donald Sutherland. Both guys, legendary actors. Mm-hmm. And then rounding out the cast with female stars, we have uh, Ruth Naga, who was previously in World War Z. Mm-hmm. She earned an Oscar nomination for the film Loving. Ah, okay. She was in uh, Warcraft, and she's prominently well-known for uh, TV's Preacher, oh. which I think just ended its run not too long ago. So that was a great show. And then also Liv Tyler's in this movie. I know. Liv Tyler in another space adventure. Yeah. <laughs> I know. While watching this, I was thinking of, uh, what was that film? Armageddon. Armageddon. Yes. I'm like, ah, she's just like an older version of this. So this is a really good cast. It is. It really is. And you could feel it. Like, the acting is just spectacular in this film. Yeah. Brad Pitt joined uh, the project back in April 2017, so he was on board almost right from the start, and- He actually serves as one of the film's producers. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think his company is uh, Rat Pack Entertainment. What a name. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Those initially made on a budget of $80 million, but then uh, some initial test screenings came back negative. Yeah. And they had to reshoot part of the film, and that caused the budget to balloon to well over $100 million. I wonder what those reshoots were. Well, I I do as well. I mean, it's it's very rare where you get a film that just blows everybody away in initial test screenings. I think Back to the Future is... One of those few exceptions, but pretty much every film has to go through reshoots of some type. Yeah, especially it feels more nowadays. That's definitely more commonplace. Yeah. I wonder if the reshoots were the ending because we were um, and we could talk about this later, I guess, in the show about what we felt how the film was going to end as opposed to what did happen. Like, I know our producer felt it would be more a sciencey ending where it just kind of things just go haywire. But the film is pretty tame. It's very straightforward. It doesn't take you on like a weird conglomerate of science. You know, like how some films just get shook up by like alien encounters at the end or everything goes haywire. It doesn't. It has a very realistic appeal the whole way through. The film, the ending definitely takes on this sort of humanities philosophical Mm -hmm. approach to with the search for extraterrestrial life and also dealing with the failure of uh, failure of objectives and mm-hmm. learning to grow from that. So it takes on this this hard stance of it's okay to fail. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And this is a really good film where the themes are so prevalent. Like, you can actually see and take home something from it. Exactly. Learn. I mean, and there's something for everybody to take home. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the important aspects of the film is the relationship between Roy and Clifford. Yes. Father-son, baby. That is <laughs> that is the emotional crux of the film. Because mm-hmm. while Roy is off Earth, he's also dealing with the fact that uh, Liv Tyler, his wife, has left him. He's estranged from his wife. Yeah. And a lot, and it all comes back to the fact that Clifford left him when he was just a young man. Mm-hmm. He's been gone for thirty years. He's had to close off pretty important parts of his life. Totally, he has. He doesn't allow himself to feel anything. He's calm under pressure, almost eerily so. Yeah, his pulse never goes over eighty beats a minute. Even when he was falling, it never rose over eighty, which is nuts because he. He's working on that space antenna. I think it was in the trailer, like him just falling, falling, falling. And he was calm and collected the whole time. It's just nuts, right? Yeah. It's like falling from the series. Well, whatever the tallest building is, like in Dubai, and just being chill the whole way down. That is the Burj Khalifa. Right, yes. The tallest building in the world. Falling from the Burj Khalifa and just being like, oh, whatever, deploy this parachute now. Oh, debris hitting my parachute, putting holes? No worries. I'll just move out of the way. Granted, that is a great quality to have in somebody who's in a dangerous profession like this, but to the level like this is, beats per minute never gets above 50 (laughs) during his avals? Yeah. That's scary. It's like Lance Armstrong type stuff. Although producer Jeremy was telling us off air that if you are physically fit enough, like your, your resting heartbeat could anywhere be between anywhere from like 50 to 60 mm-hmm. and when you're sleeping it could be around 40 so Which that is, is possible nuts. that brad pitt is just so physically fit that mm-hmm. you know this is just no big thing to him well, i would say the mental factor does come into play too being able to be calm under pressure like that as well because i've seen guys like that in the um, military where they're just like so chill dealing with just people yelling at them and just crap going everywhere and no, never phases them. We're driving on with the mission, baby. It's like, wow, well, how can have, I get some of that? Well, he has to be because he's dealing with life or death all circumstances the all the time. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this on the show when space travel does come up. Mm-hmm. It's so dangerous. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> like space is a hostile environment. Do you think in this film, um, the way it was portrayed, space travel kind of seemed like flying an airplane? In modern times, like very much from, so. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, to the moon. Well, just... even I don't know if you picked up on this, but the the rocket that takes Roy from the Earth to the moon is a Virgin Atlantic rocket. Oh, I didn't see. It. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! And it's nice to know that some <laughs> things aren't going to change in the future. Yeah, because he because Brad Pitt asked for a pillow and a blanket. It's going to cost him one hundred and twenty five dollars. They were so because we looked at each other like one hundred and twenty five dollars. Yeah, I, I looked at you. It's like, oh, they can burn in hell for that. <laughs> that better be the most comfy pillow and blanket ever. And then they offer him a hot towel, and like, I wonder how much that's going to cost. 50 bucks. And then when he gets to the space station, I guess the airport, spaceport on the moon, there's Subway. There's Subway? And like a bunch of different- Did you see there was an Applebee's there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Applebee's is still in the future. Applebee's is gone. Right? Yeah. So, At least I haven't seen any uh, where we live. Well, with that then, when do you think this film took place? Because apparently there's Applebee's. It made a comeback. Because at the beginning, Crawl just said in the near future. There was no year put down that I could see. Unless it was really quick, like on the computer screen. I didn't notice any. I think it's safe to assume that this film takes place at least 100 years in the future. If not more. I think if I had to pinpoint an exact guess, 
I would say 200 years in the future. Yeah. Because that, okay. that space antenna we see at the beginning of the film, that connects from the Earth to the top of the atmosphere, yeah. whatever that layer is called. And these guys are astronauts with helmets. They have parachutes on. Like, they're working on Yeah. They have rockets that can go from the Earth to the moon in less than three days. That's nuts. Which is incredible. It is incredible. And then going from the moon to Mars takes maybe like a week, apparently. Just and nuts. then from Mars to Neptune is like two and a half months. <laughs> I know. The travel's getting more efficient. Well, there, there also isn't an international space station anymore. It's the international space antenna. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. Yeah, so the space station is gone, gone, and the antenna seems to be this conglomerate of corporations that have like come together to build this. Because it doesn't seem like there's a NASA anymore. It seems it seems like it's been replaced by the United States Space Command, which in the trailers I don't know if you saw, but they had like those pure black mm-hmm. military uniforms, mm-hmm. and I was like. What is that? Like, it's not a NASA uniform. Right. And then it turns out it's like, oh, it's the, the the uniform for Space Command. Space Force. I mean, to be honest, it looks like they're, got, they're <laughs> it looks like they're almost like spooks from the CIA. <laughs> spooks from the CIA. Like, if they gave official CIA uniforms, that's what they would look like. It's just pure black with oh, man. insignias on them. Oh, I thought Space Force, baby. I'm like, it made me want to join the Space Force and be an astronaut when I finish this. Do you think because the corporations came together to build this antenna that this world is utopia-esque more so than like a dystopian future? Because we didn't see anything like climate change, global warming. Because most films set in the future, it's pretty, pretty like. Dark man. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think this is. I don't think it's a dystopia, and I don't think it's a utopia either. But I think Earth is just okay. Mm -hmm. Like there isn't any mention of famine, disease, war, poverty, nothing like that. And it's just. It seems like Earth is. I don't want to say in cruise control, but it just seems like we as a population have both hands on the steering wheel. Yeah, and we're okay knowing where we're going. Yeah. We've solved some problems because the only issues that show up is the pulses that come and start just blowing up the antenna and causing chaos to the people there. Yeah, those surges are really what kind of kickstart mm-hmm. Earth going in a tailspin because yeah. the death toll is rising from that first surge. I think the only really screen grab we get is there were maybe 43,000 people who died during that first surge. That's a lot. That is a lot of people. I mean, we don't get any kind of indication of what the population is like at this time but that's a lot of people yeah it's they didn't seem too happy because on space there were around the moon there were space pirates yeah with that brilliant scene where they're traversing with the rover to get to uh the ship that's going to take them to mars and you just see it's beautiful they're crossing the plane with like three rovers all of a sudden it's a wide pan shot and you see these other rovers coming they're like "Uh uh-oh First space thing pirates. I did when I saw that, I like nudge you. I'm like, space pirates. We're getting space pirates. I couldn't believe it. They're just, and they have the blasters, pew, 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 just shooting at them. Oh my God. And we get our red shirt in that scene too. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Levent. Yeah. Played uh, played by actor Sean Blakemore, who uh, I looked up some of his credits on IMDb. He's been a pretty solidly working actor for. The better part of a decade. So, getting nice uh, bit parts. Uh, some starring roles on uh, some television shows. Yeah. So he's be, been a solid working actor for a while, and I got mad respect for that. Me too. It sucks he got a blaster right in the face. Because yeah. that scene was just... Because 
they didn't the only sound was the score and then you hear the blasters and jeremy was saying that in space the only thing that they missed with that scene was the sound of the blasters it would have been cool if it was just like heavy breathing and total like silence that would be amazing but that scene was still captivating well, nonetheless yeah. space is a vacuum there is no sound in space yes so that <laughs> that's definitely one aspect of the film that's correct throughout mm-hmm. there's no sound no sound except to that and it was just ah oh, the shot to the face and i do have a gripe over. about that scene though like in the future with future weapons you mean to tell me that the only thing they have for defense is those itty bitty pistol blasters that's all you know, they don't have heavier weapons than that i mean <laughs> it's not until everyone else is dead that the station launches uh i guess missiles mm-hmm. to the other at the other space pirates and blows them up mm-hmm. it's like they don't have any other heavy weapons that they can use no chem weapon from uh what was that elysium <laughs> taking no, people out yeah no rail gun or anything <laughs> yeah, nothing yeah <laughs> but at least we get cool little blasters <laughs> How did you like the scene of uh, them going over the edge into the moon crater? And, like, oh, that was awesome. Around. I thought for sure, like, oh, crap, they're all going to die. Yeah, yeah, but it was perfect because gravity, they just landed, boop, boop, nice and soft, and then just drove on like yeah. nothing happened. And you said something about and the moon because no one can claim lay claim to the moon. That's probably why they're space pirates. Well, there's an international treaty in place that says no nation on Earth can, can claim... Anything that isn't on the Earth, mm-hmm. which is why when um, astronauts landed on the moon in 1969, it's like, yes, you landed on the moon. You can't claim it for America, though. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. So in, when they land on the moon, they come on the intercom and say, please be aware the moon is borderless mm-hmm. and it is a war zone. That is pretty much what they say. Like, it's, you know, they're space pirates. It's pretty much the Wild West on the moon. It's nuts. I would love to see that movie. Of like them colonizing on the moon, like the different battles between the people. What else? We have the death of, uh, or did he die? Donald Sutherland's character? I'm pretty sure he died because he was old. He had an irregular heartbeat. It's safe to assume he died. I know. I was like, wow, this guy, he's pretty old to be traveling on this mission. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't die like mid-flight to the moon. (laughs) Well, they have the tech then. I guess, how accurate do you think this film was with space and tech? Overall, I have to say, looks pretty accurate. Yeah. Granted, we don't know what space travel is going to look like in the future, but this, I think it's a safe bet to assume that this is what it could potentially look like. Yeah. They took, it seemed like they took elements from modern space travel and applied it to the future. Like, the rockets are still long, and you land, like, as we, I think we recently landed a rocket, like, right side up correct like how they landed on mars Mm -hmm. so they took the elements of travel so far that we have which i thought was pretty cool it it made it feel realistic in within our grasp you know there wasn't too much other tech that i could say with any certainty that it looks accurate no you didn't think the little rover on the mars or whatever that thing was it reminded me of like an airport rover that carries well it all looked fine it's just i I can't say for with any certainty that that's what tech is going to look like 200 years in the future mm-hmm. because this isn't a movie like her where we saw you know technology be advanced to the point where we're seeing it now. Mm-hmm. This technology 
in Ad Astra is so advanced that I can't definitively say mm-hmm. whether or not we're going to see something like this 200 years in the future because oh, it looks man. that advanced. It did? Oh, man. See, it seemed like, oh, I feel it. <laughs> well, even when I was convinced. Even when Brad Pitt was in the comfort rooms on Mars, yeah. there wasn't anything like a, we didn't see any light from a projector. No. It was like big screens almost or something. It was like the walls turned mm-hmm. into like waves and that kind of creeped me out though. Well, there's also the, the they, I think they call it the laser transmission that's mm-hmm. able to just go quickly from Mars to Neptune and communicate with the Lima project. Yeah. I mean, that's, if that's going to exist 200 years in the future, that's incredible that we can do that. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> it takes, I think, uh, probes that we that nasa has sent out in space they take years to get back to earth mm-hmm. <laughs> i forget what probe it is and it's going to bug the crap out of me that there was a probe that nasa sent that just left our solar system Ooh. it's still transmitting but it's going to take years for that data to get back to nasa yeah it's the voyager the voyager the voyager Ooh. probe that just uh, that just left our solar system so it's incredible to think that something we sent up like in the 70s and 80s is still there and is still <laughs> sending data to to us. I mean, and who knows what it could send us in the future. I know. It's so mind-blowing, man. Maybe it'll turn into a Star Trek and become V'ger. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Dude, that's nuts, man. It's fixed technology. It's not going to evolve into the Voyager spacecraft. Who would have thought that the first Star Trek film was a depiction of the reality? That might take place. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, technology aside, though, this is a... Character study. This right? is a fantastic character study. Brad Pitt is utterly fantastic in this film. Mm-hmm. And he's dealing with so much as the son of the great Clifford McBride. And, Criff- and Clifford, he like went to Mars, he went to the moon, he went to Jupiter, he, Saturn. Saturn. He He's traversed the entire, like outer space. So he's got so much clout to him. Everyone that sees Roy throughout the film is like, dude, I respect your dad so much. He inspired me to be where I'm at. But he doesn't bother to correct anybody by saying like, you didn't know him like I did. Yeah. Because he saw the uncaring cruel side of his father Mm -hmm. everybody else saw the brilliant scientist and man that went searching for extraterrestrial life yeah i think though that was the brilliant humanistic depiction of these films because we've all probably experienced that in real life where you know someone on more of a personal level and like all your friends are like wow that person is amazing and you're like well i don't know about that kind of as a coke habit you know like where they have some uncanny qualities where you're just like oh no well, I guess. Uh. I listened to a podcast with Freddie Prince Jr. And if you're <laughs> unfamiliar with who that is, he's the son of the late great comedian Freddie Prince, who passed away when um, young Freddie Prince was like six months old. So he never really got a chance to knew his dad. Mm-hmm. But when he makes this great point of when you're a junior, you're basically a statue to honor that which came before you. Mm-hmm. And Roy is very much that. He's living in the shadow of his dad. Exactly. It sucks. Everybody <laughs> compares him to his father. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Michael Jordan's kids have to deal with that all the time. Well, yeah, you know? Walter Payton's son has to deal with that. It's it's horrible. It's like a gift and a crux at the same token because the world gets someone so inventive and awe-inspiring, but then 
the ramifications for their family that has to follow. Yeah, and he's and Roy has practiced for his entire life to just close himself off from his emotions. Yeah. It's easier for him to say in his mind that my dad is dead mm-hmm. rather than have to face the possibility that his father could still be alive and out there. Yeah. And you see that throughout the film, people are congratulating, but then you find more that his dad is pretty much going insane. He like kills a lot of the crew, the crew with him on Neptune on the Lima project. Um, the, the woman that he meets on Mars says he killed my parents. Screw this man. Yeah. You know, like, a lot of people, the closer he gets to the Lima Project, the less congratulatory people are towards him. Like it's he's a interesting to view the other characters through the lens of Roy. Mm-hmm. And we get to see that in this film. Because everyone he encounters or everybody who has a kind word to say about his father, something befalls them in some horrible way. Yes. The first one being Colonel Pruitt, who it's safe to assume that he dies on the moon. Yes. Um, and also there's the, the escorts that he has on the moon. They're all killed just so Roy can continue on the mission to find his father. Mm-hmm. There's the crew of the Cepheus who are all killed in various ways. A commander. Yeah. yeah. He and then finally when Roy gets to his dad, his dad dies. Yeah. He thinks he's, he's accomplished his mission. He's going to get his dad home. But then his father unclips himself. Yeah, when they're trying to get back to his ship. And drifts off into space. Yeah, and he's like, let me go. Just let me go. (laughs) And he does, and that scene was so beautiful. There was this great shot as Roy is set to leave Mars, and uh, Commander Lantos gives him that video that basically says what Clifford did and Mm -hmm. and the mutiny he put down, and... The face of Clifford is overlaid with with that of Roy, so it almost forms like this skull. Mm-hmm. This, so Roy is this harbinger of death yeah. throughout the film. I mean, it's it's certainly not intentional on Roy's part to kill all these people, mm-hmm. but because he's so closed off from his emotions, he doesn't feel any of these deaths. No, he doesn't. He just takes it and strides. It's so fascinating as a character study to see that. And I know people... That I heard that was one criticism about the film, that they're like, he doesn't emote enough. But I would say they set the parameters early. Because in this film, there's a lot of voiceover narration. Mm-hmm. And the film almost reads like a book. Because a lot of movies, you never get to hear what people are thinking. It's all expository. Like, you see them say it to other people. But this, it's a narration. A lot of it in flashback, which I loved. And you, he tells you straightforward. He's cold. Like his wife does, him and his wife had a fractured relationship. His dad, he hardly knew he's dead to him. He can't grip with his emotions. He just pushes it down. It's brilliant. (laughs) It's easier as an actor to just emote, but it's much harder to portray the sense of pushing down your emotions and hiding them and concealing them. In such a subtle way. Exactly. This film is so subtle. And there's a difference. This, he was subtle. You could feel the emotion within the lines. Mm-hmm. You could see in his little expressions, this is how he feels. And he does have expressions. Like when his he cries a couple times throughout the film when he's going nuts on his journey to Neptune, the Lima. Like, he feels, man. The further away Roy gets from Earth, the less in check of his emotions he becomes. Mm-hmm. Because he's getting further away from Earth and closer to his father. Yeah, he has to deal with that. So he has to, yeah, this, his father is this this balled up thing of emotion that he's stuffed down 
in his soul for years and he's getting closer to him and realizing that I have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. It's all coming unhinged. <laughs> and we definitely see that in his long journey from Mars to Neptune. Because mm-hmm. he is by himself for those 79 days. Which is just insane. Could you do that? Just Absolutely be not. Oh, my gosh. Because he, he doesn't have anything to keep his mind occupied. He doesn't have any like thumb drives of movies or shows, any books or anything like that. There is nothing to keep him occupied. It is just him mm-hmm. and the Cepheus and the knowledge that his actions caused the deaths of three other people on that craft. Mm-hmm. So he has to sit it's stew with that for almost three months. I I don't know if I could deal with that. That's got to just be, I don't know. That's probably why they don't send astronauts up to space by yourself. No. Just insane, literally. It's fascinating how he almost mirrors his dad throughout this entire picture. They're both going on that journey, and in the end, they almost become insane together when he meets his dad. Well, in... Tommy Lee Jones is fantastic in this film, too. So subtle as well. He's incredible. Like... The Roy just wants to touch his dad when he meets him and his dad pulls away because he just, oh my God, he's been by himself for so long. Yeah. I think Clifford is somebody who can't see, he can't see the forest through the trees. Yeah. Uh, and I hate using, I hate using that cliche, but it's so true in this case because his mission on the Lima project was to find extraterrestrial life mm-hmm. and he didn't find it. No, there's no sign in 150 years in the future of no signs of extraterrestrial life. But he found so much data about other yeah. things. He found all these beautiful, potentially habitable planets mm-hmm. that are devoid of life, but he can't he can't recognize the beauty that those images and that knowledge has. Mm-hmm. He's just so set on, he has to find it. And I think it's because he's been so successful throughout his career that finally, for the first time, it's something that he can't overcome, you know? It's it's there. He's not going to find it. And so he has to re- deal with that. And Tommy Lee Jones' character can't. He can't deal with it. He, in his mind, he didn't succeed. But he did, exactly. He succeeded in his mission like by confirming that, no, there is an extraterrestrial life. We are alone in our galaxy. Mm-hmm. But it, to him, he w- he was so set I have to find it. I need to find it. And in his ability, in in his way of not being able to deal with it, in his failure, he ends up murdering his entire crew mm-hmm. that's on the Lima because they want to just abandon and go home. And he says no, and he cuts life support. Like there's their dead bodies just floating around when Roy enters the ship. It's oh my gosh. I did find Terrible. it interesting that Clifford was a man of God. A man, really? Yes. Right. I mean, and, and that's not to say, I mean, so often people equate scientists with being atheists or non-religious people, but they're not. Yeah. I mean, science offers a way of expanding our view of the world and the universe and how processes work. It's not just saying like, oh, well, it, it works this way because God designed it that way. It's like, well, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but there's... Science offers a way of clarifying those unknown things about our world. Yeah, where they initially came from is up to, Yeah, you know, that's been the topic of controversy for our whole life. Yeah, no <laughs> one's looking to disprove God. They're just looking for a way to prove how these processes actually work mm-hmm. instead of just saying, oh, it's the gods or yeah. it's God singular. Yeah, instead of just writing it off. But that was pretty interesting. 
that he did believe, which is something that we don't commonly see in a lot of films. No. No, we never do, which is, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. It's a welcome <laughs> change. Yeah. And yes, these are astronauts, these are important scientists, but it's important to recognize them as people. Mm-hmm. They're men and women who have their own set of beliefs and thoughts. Mm-hmm. And if they are you know, man, men or women of God, by no means does that exclude them from being scientists. Absolutely. So what else? Did you like the visuals in this and the color palette? How'd oh, absolutely. I mean, um, and I think that's a testament to Hoyt Van Hoytema, the cinematographer of this film, and the choices he made in terms of differentiating between the worlds that we're on. Because mm-hmm. on Earth, everything's lush and vibrant. On the moon, everything's just gray. Cold, yeah. Well, it's gray because the, the, the moon is borderless. There's yeah. no one who controls the moon. Mm-hmm. And then on Mars, everything is red, almost like this sign of impending danger. Mm-hmm. And then we get to Neptune and it's blue. And we almost, it's, it's just this eminent sadness mm-hmm. that permeates all of those scenes where, Cl- where Roy has found Clifford. They did such a brilliant job. Well, it's, <laughs> and, in, and that sadness just, it, it goes yeah. into the ship of the Lima Project. Because when Roy is set to take Clifford out of there, it's, it's not a son finding his father. It's, it, that scene is portrayed with such tender love and care that Roy still has for his dad. Yeah. He's still realizing that. It's almost like a son caring for a parent who's been afflicted with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or some neurological disease. And that's when it got me like right in the feels. Me too. <laughs> it, despite his dad saying, I don't care. Like, you're nothing to me. You know, I don't think about you guys. I don't think about anything when I've been out here except work. Of course he was. I think he was just saying that to get Roy to go away. Mm-hmm. The explosion you know, projecting him back to Earth, everything. The color palette was amazing. And the score, for me at least, that followed it all up, changed with every planet they were on or flew by. Beautiful film, I have to say. Beautiful film. This is how, this is when visual effects are used to their potential, I think. Yeah. And they don't feel fake, they don't feel forced, and it's incorporated into the film in a realistic fashion where you're almost like, wow, how did they do this? This looks incredible like the moon i'm like did they film this in the desert and change you know the camera i don't know i think they definitely may have done that for the shots on the moon and for mars Mm -hmm. i mean because that's i don't want to say that's an easy effect to do but i mean it looked good it looked great (laughs) good man i'm like this is on earth or this is all green screen you got who are you please get hired in more films and do more things like this because this is just insatiable particularly and that ending is great too when roy has to unclip his father yeah to because they're trying his father to wants to stay in space he does he doesn't want to go back he doesn't want to go back to earth the space is his home now and he wants to stay there yep and i can i can respect that but it's just so heartbreaking to see roy acquiesce to his father's wishes yeah he came all this way and you think that his dad's gonna go with you but i knew he wasn't going to and he just jettisons himself out there and Roy has to decide am I going to die with him or let him go but he takes his father's data with him because through Clifford's failure quote unquote Roy is going to take that to find success on earth Mm -hmm. and learn and learn to grow out of his father's shadow yeah I mean he's going to go back home and try to reconcile with his wife Mm -hmm. is by realizing that yes we are alone in the universe humanity is all we have that's it and that's all you have to work with, man. Love and just 
propelling the race and everything. In a way, in realizing that we are alone in the universe is liberating for Roy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to close himself off anymore. He no. can he can have those human connections and relationships with people that he shut out. And he got that closure with his dad. Everything. Yeah. It just all tied it nicely in a bow. It was tied up in a bow, but it didn't feel like your stereotypical happy ending. No. You know, because it wasn't and happy at all. Like his dad died and like he had to deal with that heavy loss. But in that loss, he shed tears and he realized, like you said, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not your fault. You can go back to humanity now. So let's discuss how the film is doing now. Okay. Opening weekend. So it currently holds an 82% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Personally, I feel like this should be a bit of a higher rating. I think so as well. Well, because we were, we were, we saw it, you know, a couple nights ago, opening weekend, and the theater we were in was sparsely populated. I couldn't believe it. IMAX though was filled. Exactly. The the next door was the IMAX screening, and people were pouring out of that. But do you know what theater was also filled? <laughs> Downton Abbey. God, why? I don't understand. You know, I I haven't seen it. My girlfriend's been trying to get me to watch the show for a while, so I'm not gonna criticize the film too much but i did see that downton abbey is actually going to get the top spot in opening box office this weekend <laughs> this is however ad astra is going to gross about 19 million dollars opening weekend against that 100 million dollar budget what i think that once word of mouth gets around about this film and how good it is then people are going to be flocking to see it i hope so because this is really worth it Well, I think what's hurting the movie right now is a lot of people are comparing this to Interstellar. And and that's a disservice to both films. Yeah. Because... They're totally different. They're totally different films. It's a totally different mission for each film. Each of the main characters has a totally different motivation for leaving Earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a different depiction of the future in both films. Yeah. There's nothing... The only thing that's really taken from that film is the shots. Kind of. Kind of. You know, kind of. But even as we talked about the end, like maybe the ending, how this one was pretty straightforward, it stayed relevant in like the human. Whereas Interstellar's Interstellar's thing was like, oh, love is a dimension. Whoa. Like it just went left field, man. Like all into science. This stayed home and real the entire way. I think the studio is banking on this being a big time winner come award season. Totally. Or it's it's going to be nominated for several awards. So let's just get that out of the way right now. All visual effects awards are going to go right to this. A film. ton of technical awards. Uh, I imagine production design is going to be at the top of that list. Brad Pitt's performance is going to be uh, universally lauded because he's fantastic in this film. I wouldn't be surprised if he does win an acting uh, Oscar. Maybe not for Ad Astra, but definitely for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I feel like he could win for... He could easily win for both of these films though i believe so and i agree it's it is a shame though that in 2019 both of his films that he's in are second fiddle to downton abbey and then a remake of the lion king (laughs) right it's like what (laughs) universe do we live in where a lion king remake is going to outgross and be number one compared to a film with leo and brad pitt Around Oscar season, if the movies are out on home media and they win, there's always a boost in revenue for those films. And that's what I think the studio is going to be banking on. I hope so. Because this is a great film. It is. And with that in mind, before we get too deep down this rabbit hole, let's provide our rating for the film. Okay. Now, normally, 
how we rate our films on the Force Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. We have a four-tiered system of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, and would host a viewing party. And when we do our bite-sized versions, we kind of forego the last rating a little bit. We say we we just say would see it again in theaters. John, what do you what rating do you give to Ad Astra? Four stars, baby. I'd see it again. I'm gonna buy it when it comes out and host viewing parties. This is insatiable, man. We like we've talked about visual effects, acting, performance. I think it's one of my top ten favorite sci-fi films of all time that I've ever seen. I mean, it left me speechless, man, and we're still talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my rating. How about you, bud? You know, I I have to give it all of our top ratings. Mm-hmm. I would I'd see this again in theaters. I would even pay to see it in IMAX again. I would I would go see it in IMAX. I would own it when it comes out, and I would host viewing parties for all my friends to come over and enjoy it with me. I mean, for me, this is a well-crafted and just flat-out brilliant film. The color palette, as we've mentioned, is amazing. It is, it's one of the most realistic of space travel uh, depictions that we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt commands the screen, and his performance is incredible, along with that of the rest of the cast. They're able to keep up with him, too. And in many ways, for me, this has supplanted Interstellar mm-hmm. with its story of love and space travel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and it gives us a very optimistic view of the future, which is, which is something I always kind of look for in future films like this. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it gives us hope for how we'll be able to go beyond the reaches of Earth. I like it. It's a hopeful film. Yeah. So... With that being said, so let us know if you if you've seen the film. Let us know if you loved it or if you agree with our ratings. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed today's episode, please go head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the ForceFed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.